What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and we are in Columbus, Mississippi again, and uh, co-hosting tonight, and he will be introducing the guest, is Alec Hawkins, man. It's good to have you back. Hey, Alan. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. So, who have we got here? All right. This is... Do you want me to call you Danny Newman or Petey Newman? I guess call me Danny Newman. All right. Well, <laughs> this is Danny Newman, but on his... Nonfiction literature. It's P.D. Newman, but I have noticed here lately on your creative fiction, you've been going by Danny Newman. I have been going by Danny Newman, and that was a conscious choice. It was a conscious choice. I've been meaning to ask you that, but now that there's a microphone in our face, I feel like either we gotta sing some Beatles songs, or I should ask you some questions. Yeah, definitely a conscious uh, decision to kind of divorce it from the. Uh, the brand of writing that I do, you know, I guess professionally. This right. is my first real foray into fiction, so I'm kind of still discovering what that side of me looks like. Which is cool, because it's like an excavation, but e- even in your research, you know, obviously excavating. Am I saying that, that right? Not like N and M into that, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. But yeah, I think so... P.D. Newman has written two books. Alchemically Stoned, The Psychedelic Secret of Freemasonry was my first book. My latest book is Angels in Vermilion, The Philosopher's Stone from D to DMT. So both books dealing with uh, DMT. With psychedelics. Psychedelics, um, Freemasonry, Secret Societies. And alchemy. Alchemy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the talk I've been wanting to have for such a long time, and it's like one of those rare occasions to where you actually get somebody who's done a a fair amount of research and sat down and done the homework and wrote not one but two books about. Uh, so we get we're to talk about D- with, we get to talk about DMT, folks. Yeah, an expert. Yeah, <laughs> I can geek out on this for sure. Yeah. But I wanted to open up with this just to just to. Uh, uh, warm people up is like we found out pretty quick that we had a similar music interest with Spaceman 3 mm-hmm. and I had to stop you from sharing that story so I don't know <laughs> if you remember how you started it uh, with Memphis P- baby yeah so Spaceman 3 um, with whom I am absolutely obsessed uh, the, the two gentlemen involved in that project Peter Kimber and Jason Pierce are their names um 
Peter Kimber went on to, he, he is the producer known as Sonic Boom, who has produced for a, a number of different famous artists. He, he's recently produced for Panda Bear from, uh, um, who's he from? Panda Bear is from. Uh, he's from that um, that collector with the animals. I can't remember animal what that is. Animal, that's it. And, and, so... He went on. He's he did his own thing. Became a a pretty famous producer. But his musical projects. He did a project called Spectrum, which we'll get into in a second. And um, uh, Sonic Boom, which he's got. Like I said, he's also got projects into that. But Jason Pierce went on to become what's called uh, Spiritualized. A project called Spiritualized. Mm-hmm. Um. Which kind of the early stuff has a shoegaze element to it, but they eventually got into more um, R and B stuff. And both of them were obsessed with a Memphis producer named Jim Dickinson, who produced for Ardent Records. Ardent was a uh, is a subsidiary of Stax. Was a subsidiary, I guess. Stax is no longer a thing, but Ardent still is. Um, and Dickinson was involved with. Um, the production of uh, Mud Honey, Soundgarden recorded there. Um, and he is the father of the guys involved in North Mississippi All-Stars. So he he's pretty famous. He, he played with um, Dylan. He played on Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones. He passed away in 2009. But before he passed away, so both Peter Kimber and Jason Pierce of Spaceman 3 were obsessed with Jim Dickinson from a porno that he did the soundtrack for called Alpha Stone. I don't know how they heard this in England, but they got a hold of it and had been obsessed with him since they heard it. And after they split up and were no longer Spaceman 3, this was in 1997, Jason Pierce reached out to Jim Dickinson and asked him uh, if he could fly down to his zebra ranch, what's called Zebra Studios or something down in DeSoto County, uh, on Highway 51, right past Cenotopia oh. in Tate County. That's where his studio was. So wow. he flew down here, you know, talked to Jim, um, and Jim gave him, you know, uh, advice on how to make this sound like a Memphis record, I think was the goal. And you can really hear it come through on um, the track Cop Shoot Cop, which has a heavy Dickinson influence. But then fast forward 11 years later, Sonic Boom gets in touch. Peter Kimber gets in touch with Jim Dickinson and says, "Hey, I want to I want to do this record with you. Can I come down to your ranch in DeSoto County and record this?" And they ended up recording this thing called uh, Captain Memphis meets Sonic Boom, and it's on Spotify. It's an incredible record. Uh, Good plug. So yeah, both the guys from Spaceman Three ended up almost in Memphis, but in Mississippi, in DeSoto County. Recording with uh, that's awesome, Jim Dickinson. Um, my buddy, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of that little Mississippi town. Um, it'd be over in like the Tupelo area, right on the state line. They have a little record store, and I want to say that was the first time my buddy found Spaceman 3. Mm. Oh, wow, cool, and uh, found it in Mississippi. Nice, and I was like, gets no better than that. and uh, he knows the story as well as you about how it, and just the words that you were using to describe Hill Country Blues earlier, and you said droney, and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. There's only a specific place you use that for, right? in my opinion. 
Yeah. And it's, it's Spaceman. Spaceman so 3 definitely have that drone thing going on. Mm-hmm. And you hear that in here, Hill Country Blues, especially with uh, Junior Kimbrough. Yes. Really droning. Really psychedelic in its own way. You know? So uh, let's... Uh, how do we open this? Uh, man, how did you uh, end up writing these books on DMT and demonology and alchemy? and I mean... Tell us a little bit about growing up and what you did. What were you into? I grew up in the South, and um, you know as well as I do, mushrooms grow wild here mm-hmm. in cow fields as long as they're fed with grain. And my brother and I learned that really early on. And so from like age 11 on, we were picking mushrooms, taking acid, and really into psychedelics as kids. But we were into it for creative purposes. We're both musicians and artists, so we were doing it to make art. It didn't take long, though, before our experiences started taking on less of an artistic kind of effect and more of a, a spiritual crisis effect. We started you know, taking more and more, and the more we took, we started experiencing things that were... Um, outside of our vocabulary for experience we didn't have a frame of reference for it we had no vocabulary for it um now as we got older we started encountering things like um, yoga and eastern mysticism and taoism and buddhism mm. and some of that vocabulary from those systems started to give us a vocabulary so we so, could actually discuss what was happening before that did you grow up in church with your family like we were southern raised baptist? southern baptist yeah that's right and um now eventually my mother got involved with a uh, what was a legitimate cult um no longer southern baptist that followed this man that considered himself an, an apostle uh i i call myself a recovering southern baptist <laughs> okay i'm definitely a recovering southern <laughs> baptist i feel like that at this point in my life i've made friends with it to some degree and can kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing but at the same time i could never identify with that growing up and uh, mm-hmm. had so much difficulty making sense of what they seemed to be getting out of that experience of sitting there for an hour and listening to a man spout his opinions. And and that's crazy because you didn't even have the vocabulary growing up in church to be able to talk about spiritual things and you had to go to Taoism and a more Eastern... that then led us to Taoism. Yes. It, was, it was essentially psychedelics that got us thinking in in terms for which we had no vocabulary. Yeah. But as kids, my brother and I, you know, we're 14 months apart, and we kind of developed our own vocabulary. Sure. And uh, But it wasn't until we got involved with yoga that we found out about that these, these things were actually, our experiences were, were reflective of experiences people had been having for thousands of years. It's just in the West, we don't, really have a framework for that kind of experience we do um, but it's been forgotten i mean orthodoxy is a prime example of a framework that allows for the experiences that you can have on psychedelics without psychedelics what they call hesychasm means stillness but that stillness is essentially the same as what you would call meditation and Buddhism and they're all often breathing exercises involved Mm -hmm. in specific meditations and what we would call prayers, but what someone in the East would call a mantra because they're repeated, they're short and they're repeated. Uh, So very, very similar to an uh, Eastern system of attainment, but right here in the West and, and 
built in the West. We just mm -hmm. have gotten so far from that with Protestantism and we no right. longer have a framework for what a divine experience would look like. The, right. The prayer, like the prayers that I hear every day, because I, I do have the, the, the wonderful benefit of working somewhere where like there is prayer happening, but it is definitely not like what you're describing in the Orthodox church where you know exactly what the, the prayer is the appropriate prayer for, you know, what was going down as opposed to, I've noticed prayer, prayers are almost sermon, like, like a condensed sermon mm -hmm. in some, in some Protestant, you know, cause it's so generalized. There's 30, 40,000 different Protestant. Right. And even in Southern Baptist, it splits. Into but, but I feel like there, there is, you know, since there is no set way of like, this is the prayer before a meal, or this is a prayer uh, for this uh, day or this event, the um, those Protestant prayers were, um, <laughs> are more like many sermons. They are, and yeah. and, and, and in, a, in a way compared to when you say a mantra, the Jesus prayer comes to mind. Lord Jesus Christ, that's a great example. Son of God, have mercy on me. Mm. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. You know, just you know that's very mantra-like, you know, yeah. that wouldn't be an a, a orthodox word, you know, you'd be praying, but, you know, but it, just like in Roman Catholicism, the rosary, I don't know how to pray the rosary, but I'm mm -hmm. imagining it's similar, a similar right. idea to... A, a short yeah. prayer repeated <coughs> over and over. And <coughs> But America's very anti-Catholic, so um, it, even, you know, to speak for myself, you know, yeah, um, the, the rosary thing. I, th I think that's something. why orthodoxy stays kind of hidden because it, it looks like some kind of ethnic Catholicism yeah. to Protestant Americans. Or, or at least speaking for myself as somebody who was kind of agnostically raised in a Southern Baptist environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that kind of leads into it. Uh, we talked a little bit about how you got into orthodoxy, but just while we're on the subject. Yeah. Uh, the last time that you were on, some people that listened wanted to know a little bit more about an orthodox service uh, right on and like because uh, maybe of all they've seen is maybe a southern baptist service yeah i got you and 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 um and in my experiences um yes yeah, like i i know there, there's some church it's not southern baptist um i'm specifically thinking uh churches of christ it's not it wasn't a regular thing in my experience but like how do you do you stand up when you pray do you kneel down whatever so and in the, in the Orthodoxy again, like there's, no, you know what you're doing, because um, it's been going on since before, like the books of the Bible were chosen. That's how the books of the Bible were chosen. Um, Pre-schism, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, um, folks figuring out what books were going to go together using the holy tradition. So anyway, the um, in the Orthodox Church, you're doing what you know we've been doing for millennia. Yeah, this was um, before the Council of Nicaea, right? So, the Divine Liturgy, Sunday morning. Well, actually, we're going to even have to back up some more. We'll just walk you through it real quick. So, in the ancient world, day starts at sunset, right? So, um, for, for example, um, let's say, okay, here we go. Saturday evening. You might you might think Saturday evening you don't go to church on a Saturday evening. You know, you go to church Sunday morning. Well, so in Orthodoxy, 
because it's ancient, you know, what we've been doing. And in the ancient world, Sunday started at Saturday um, at sunset. We go to church um, Saturday evening at sunset to do Vespers. So it's um, it's an it's an evening service, and the psalms are are pr- um, prayed. How and often, then the, how often does this vesper? Well, how often do y'all meet? I, I, I was distracted because did did you not hear that demon? I heard like a roar or something. <laughs> so like like the whole time I was like trying to explain this, and this demon's like, no, he cannot talk. All right, so. Investors means I'm, I'm evening so, star, right? It means evening. So what I'm trying to say is, in the ancient world, Sunday started Saturday at sunset. So if it if it's, if it's Saturday night for us, it's actually Sunday has already started. Like mm-hmm. the, the day began at night. So, um, um, so it, it's about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the day and what what's going on on the liturgical uh, calendar. Um, if anybody and, knows an Orthodox Jew, I mean, that's still the same for them with the Sabbath. It's like right. Friday at sundown. It's because it, in the beginning it was they're darkness, on, chaos. And they're and also then on a lunar calendar light. as well in the way that they look at time, right? That's right. Jew, Jewish calendar. And Orthodoxy is <laughs> on a lunar calendar, just like Judaism. Sorry. So so to get to Sunday morning, you know, so you go home, you know, and then so then Sunday morning you come in. And d- depending on the jurisdiction and the culture of the people you're around, because I know in my experience, like ethnically Greek churches seem to have pews and almost have more of a Protestant vibe in, in that way. But in my experience, Orthodoxy is pretty much you're standing the entire service. There's some, some rows in the back of pews for the elderly, the disabled, the pregnant, you know, people who need it. But, um,. Again, America's anti-Roman Catholic were also anti-monarchist. And the way I tried to explain it to my son when, when he gets distracted or wants to, like, you know, turn around and kind of face me and give me a hug, I've got, you know, turn around and, you know, face him to the east and remind him, like, you're in the court of the king. You know, it's, it's kind of that, that mindset. It's a very different worship than co- coming in, like, you know, Danny was saying, and listening to, you know, a, a man's opinions. And I know a lot of people, you know, definitely argue, like, well, it's not opinion, because ev- everyone who who works in theology understands to a degree, like, why Christianity is what it is. That's such a beautiful and it, thing, man, that, like, what you just said about reminding your son to turn to the East. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is there's something called the iconostasis. Everything, so everything in this service literally is meaning something about your faith. So in my Every in my experience, I, I any question I had, like how do you pray, how do you worship? Orthodoxy knows why, and I use the example of the Bible, like the books of the, the you know we talk about books that aren't in the Bible, but like Christ references the Book of Enoch, things like that. Books that it was like we don't necessarily need this book in the Bible. Sure. The the books they chose, and I think what those sixty six books. That depends. Um, um, we're based on the the liturgy. Has we're, we're, we're based on no, it's what the Orthodox Church does. You know that that's how those books were chosen. So anyway, I, right. I use that that's as right. an example. It was the Council um, of Nicaea that split it. Um, 
but but anyway, to get to get back to the divine liturgy, so that that would be you know, I, and I know in some Protestant denominations, again like Churches of Christ, every Sunday morning you take the Lord's Supper. So we we call it you know the Eucharist, the mystical supper. Um, but the the service, um, there's a cappella singing, uh, and there are psalms. And um, gospel readings, uh, epistle readings, um, de- depending on the day, uh, there's an event or a saint that is um, commemorated. Um, and I've, I've been in Orthodoxy actually fully for two, three years now. You know, been going towards it for longer than that. But I, I have to remember that, man, my, my whole perception has changed a lot too. But I hope I have conveyed somewhat how it is very different. It's a cycle. It, oh, yeah, too. yeah you, exactly. The, you know what's happening every cycle. day of, of the liturgical year. Mm-hmm. So when you, if you participate, yeah. like you could go to liturgy one Sunday and you're going to get one specific biblical reading, one specific saint adoration for that day. Right. But and if you participate the in the entire year... World doing it too? That's right. All right. So they're all connected by the same message. And, and I do want to say, like, any Protestant right. pastor, any, you know, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you know, Sunday evening, you know, Wednesday, you know, people who are, like, at their churches when the doors are open, you know, who, who might be feeling like I'm dismissing them and, you know, thinking, I, whatever, um, no, no better. Uh, what, what I want you to understand, though, is I, I understand the whole, like, Bible-only, like, Christianity, like, People, those Protestants, like, they are going for the first century church. And I have made this claim about the Bible about five times now. Now, the whole Bible exists because of the, you know, these, you know, the Orthodox. Church fathers. But, um, (laughs) talking about the message. Well, in the sermon. Well, the the point I'm trying I want to make is, you could go to the Orthodox Church and go through a liturgical year, and never have a, access to a Bible. You are going to hear the Bible. That's right. It comes from a time before common folks could read, so that was right. their access to the Bible. Right. So so I got like the Holy Gospel right there, the Holy Apostle, the Prophets. I mean, th- those books I have right there on the shelf give you the liturgical, like, th- those three books would tell me everything I would need to know about. These are the scripture readings for this day. Uh-huh. And, and, if, and if this feast day falls on, you know, a Sunday, you would do it, you know, the Friday before, or I, I don't know if that's correct, but, you know, for example, you know, something like that. Whereas in a so Protestant setting, it's, they would just choose each Sunday, Wednesday, whatever. And the whole this note, is the verse that moved me. I'll give a homily yeah. on it. The whole ethnic notion, like I have a lot of um, acquaintances who will always refer to me as Greek Orthodox, even though I'm not, because there's almost this this essential ethnic element to Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. You know, when people think, I think that's kind of why it gets dismissed, even academically. It's like, oh, that's what, you know, because there, there's more Arab Christians in the world than there are Jewish people. Sure. Um, but you know, it kind of gets dismissed as this weird kind of thing that people do. And I think Africa, a big part, and the of Middle the, East. part of the ethnic aspect of Orthodoxy is that those cultures 
some of them are in exile. Right. Uh, their grandparents, they've been here since their grandparents were in exile. So whether it's Russia or Greece, Armenia, they, they, their grandparents who came here were coming here to be able to practice their religion and not be persecuted. Right, right. So, and so it, for, it is definitely so wrapped Greek up relig- in the ethnicity. A Greek Orthodox Church is specifically set up to make Greek exiles feel at home. Right. Russian Orthodox is made to feel Russian, make, make Russian Orthodox who are also or descended from exiles feel at home but there's no such thing as right. greek orthodoxy or russian orthodoxy there's only orthodoxy yeah I, I was i was outside um signing a thank you card you know I, somebody in the neighborhood did something nice so we're all signing a thank you card and um i i, I don't know i i had, had something something orthodox on my body you know and um it kind of kind of spooked kind of spooked the lady and I think it's the orthodoxy does give give off that you know ethnic thing that seems scare some people. So if you are interested in orthodoxy, you know people are gonna freak out. Oh, like for example, I didn't even mention the incense. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> see, I, I knew this whole time I'm thinking like I'm not even scratching the surface. Like it's an immersive experience. You know, so the whole question was like, what is Orthodox worship? What would it be like if I went to an Orthodox? I mean, church? It like it sounds like the entire service. You know, you're about to go to the incense now. It's like it goes all the way to the sixth sense. If it goes back to that very spiritual thing that we were talking about earlier with the psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and even in my own like personal like choosing, you know, if I'm 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 wearing like jewelry, or even cologne or or something like, I, there, there's the, the immersion of the senses. You know the the touch and the sing, and the and seeing, um, even even hearing because there there's bells, in orthodoxy, you know e- even the censer with the incense has bells on it, mm-hmm. and the readers, every sense is occupied, especially for yeah. a faithful because they partake of the Eucharist. I didn't mention which the also chanting. Occupies you know? the sense of taste. Mm-hmm. I'm not. A, I'm just still a catechumen, so I, I don't partake of the Eucharist myself, but. Every other sense is occupied, and there is a consecrated—not uh, consecrated—it's blessed, but not consecrated—bread that's shared with people who aren't um, faithful. Well, that's what they call it in orthodoxy: right. those who can partake of the Eucharist and have been through the catechumen stage. But it's like, um, how long does that process last? I think the the original person? rule was no more than three years, but it can be anything less than that. So I've been a catechumen. I, I guess I, I have been going to the church for one year last September, and I became a catechumen, I think, in February. So I've been a catechumen for six months, seven months. Yeah, I worship at the same time. I, I want to say you've been. I want to say you've been a catechumen for about a year, but because of uh, the past year or so, it's kind of maybe delayed some things. Yeah. But also, I want to point out again. I'm sure, like. Protestant folks are thinking, well, that's messed up. If someone says they're ready for Jesus, they need to accept him into their heart and get baptized. You know, why are you waiting? Yeah. Um, Whereas um, um, Christ teaches orthodoxy. You know, the apostles preached orthodoxy. And it's more of an initiation into the faith than just, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I will accept Jesus into my heart. That's right. Largely, It's largely, I think, a reflection of the fact that America as a whole has lost touch with rites of passage, 
rites of passage well that can traditionally rites of passage are thought of as passing you into manhood or when you get married or the rite of passage of death into the afterlife but a rite of passage by definition is the passage into the sacred and in in modern america there's nothing sacred i mean even even church outings no right. the way i was raised were not sacred i had no idea what what worship meant mm. until i had a psychedelic experience now, of course, orthodoxy is not a psychedelic experience. But it's a, but, it's a immersive experience. But it's immersive, and that's mm. the thing. It's all the time. It's not yeah. like, even if you go to church Sunday well, morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, yeah. it's, it's beyond. Yeah, and, and you, you, you'll, other Christians, you know, do pray. They'll say their mm-hmm. prayers in the morning sure. and, sure. and at night before they go to bed. But, but with orthodoxy, it's very cyclical. It's very ritualized. These things are repeated over and over and mm-hmm. over, and it's to immerse yourself in them. When he was talking about the the liturgy earlier, you have the iconostasis. Iconostasis meaning the icons, and then stasis meaning it doesn't move. So it sits That's there all the facing. time. That's what we're facing. We're, when you're standing up for two and a half, three hours during the liturgy, we're facing the worshiping east God for the and same reason. The Eucharist. That's right, and we're facing the east for the same reason that Freemasons face the east. That's the source of the sunrise. It's the source of wisdom, of light, of enlightenment, of illumination. And most people are buried facing the east. And there's a reason for both of that, too. It's also that's where Christ will come from. That's right. Right, that's the thing they do. You're looking to the king. Right. You're looking for him. That's right. Right. And and that goes back to, we're not worshiping the sun, but it goes back to a a Neoplatonic worldview that was prevalent at the time that Christian that Christ existed, what we call Hermeticism came about, um, Gnosticism came about. It's the same worldview where the sun was seen as the cosmic vice regent of the monad, the one, the God, the Father, on the sensible plane, on the material plane. So, if we're if when we talk about God creating the world. We say he created it ex nihilo, from nothing. Mm. But that's true to a certain extent because what he created it from didn't exist. It was no thing. But he used his own substance. It's not like he could go in his backyard. When we're talking about God, we're talking about a monad, a one thing. It, there's not two. He's not in a room, in an environment. That would be two things. It's one thing with no division. So when this one thing decides to create... The only substance, for lack of a better word, that he can use to create is his own substance. Mm. So when we're looking at this world around us, this is divinity revealing himself to us as himself. The theophany, as we call would call it, a, it. I call it a partial heaven. Uh, That's a great way to look at it. in hell, the idea of hell that scares me is it's not burning for an eternity. It's the absence of God because that is hell. Hell, that is, would be, hell is the absence of God, while heaven is being in full presence of God. Theologically, that, I want to say that is sound. Like in the Orthodox Church, right? It's like you are not. God isn't cho- choosing to throw you into a pit of torment. You lived your you, life you, not you, wanting Him, living in you partial are re- presence. Right, right, this right. Is, but that's Plato. That's saying well, you also, choose not to participate in the good. There in, is no evil. In There's orthodoxy, only, you're not participating. And that, in the and that good. goes back to the. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Alec. No, no. But no I no. wanted to clear that air. Keep, yeah, keep like, it going. Uh, is with like the catacomb, catacumen, catacumen, mm-hmm. catacumen mm-hmm. is 
if you look back to the Bible, these people who were coming to church, they had already found Christ. And so being a part of his bride should be a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. You you should already know the husband. And like there should be, when you say the faithful, that makes sense. It's like no longer than three years. Well, you might prove yourself, if I'm missing, tell me, faithful six months. Mm -hmm. Maybe and, 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 and sure, yeah. They have happens. just like in Fre Freemasonry, they have three degrees. That three degree system comes from this ancient Orthodox tradition of having hearers, which means someone who can just show up, listen, partake of the blessed bread in the presence of them, mm -hmm. but not partake of the Eucharist, yeah. right? The sure. second level of immersion in this domain is the catechumen and that just means you've declared yourself you you declare yourself to the priest the members of the church you say no this is truth to me i want i want to be involved in this mm. so for that next six months one year two years three years you're that's that's a, a learning phase it's what van Gennep would call a liminal phase you're in between you're no longer an outsider you're not just a hearer you're not a faithful you're in this in-between state that has no real definition but is strictly based on you learning the formalities the why i mean like for example why would after the fall after man fell what about God becoming man and then dying and rising again corrects that fall? It's not a logical thing. It doesn't make sense to me. It's not intuitive. I couldn't answer that question on my own, but it's answered in orthodoxy. It's answered by the church fathers. Mm. So that catechumen phase is designed to help you understand why. It's not just random. It's a very systematic thing yeah. that's being presented orthodoxy gets accused of like these empty prayers like you know when i was talking earlier about like we know like what to pray it's like oh it's just an empty prayer you, you know you don't even know what it means you don't even know what you're saying but it's like it's, that's why there is this emphasis on you know what you're doing for example a as a catechumen you know the priest is telling the catechumen like a prayer rule like they're definitely going to tell them, like, you know, you're not taking on more than you can handle and you definitely don't want to be reading stuff that you don't even understand what you're saying so if it's as if it's as simple as saying the Lord's prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, um, mm -hmm. well, I mean, you know that that, that that's, that's all you do. You know. The earlier example that you gave was, I think, four words. Was it, Lord Christ have mercy? Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the, it, Jesus, the prayer. Jesus prayer is summarizing the gospel. Lord it's, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. Son of God, have mercy on me. Mm -hmm. And when sometimes I, when a I sinner. well when I pray it. I pray, Lord. That's a really good mantra. Jesus though. Christ, Son of the Living God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Some, but most of the time you do hear a sinner. Uh, but I, I do think the sinner makes it better for me because I'm focusing on. I'm the sinner. Yeah. Um, You're you know, on up to it. But Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. And Pete, there's a there's an author. I think author. it's good to be specific that's, like that. That's, that's the one gospel. thing that I hate about postmodernism in this age that we're living in now is the further that we walk away from absolute truth, it, you no longer are specific about anything, mm -hmm. which takes the whole levity of meaning completely and away. And by absolute to, truth, you mean the revelation? Yes, yes. There are absolute truth. Right. There is absolute truth, singular. 
Not many. Right. And it pisses me off when people say, I know my truth. That's what Barella calls the uh, revelatum. Well, the only the only way you can't um, disregard somebody else's faith, which again, if you're converting to orthodoxy, whether you're atheist or another religion, you're going to have to drop one programming for, for essentially a, a new, you know, just like going to college and learning something, a, a new type of programming. Right. Um, but... Man, I, I gotta quit jumping like ideas when I'm talking about something because then, yeah, I completely lose my train of thought while we're talking about it. But but anyway, orthodoxy is really cool. It 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 is available to people. I don't know if it's the internet or what. And the other good thing about like say living where we live mm-hmm. in Northeast Columbus, West Alabama, when we go to church, we do have a priest, but he's not there all the time. So there's lots of what you would call a reader service. So if you went there on Wednesday night for a Vesper service, I know I talk about Vespers on Saturday night for Sunday, but we also do like a midweek Vesper service at St. Catherine um, with no priest. You know, it's just lay people reading because, you know, we don't have a full-time priest. And we're chanting everything, which that's something else we didn't talk about, the immersive experience. Instead of hearing the gospel or hearing the Psalms, they're being chanted, so that affects you in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I did again. I forgot where I was going with all that. But I think I was trying to talk about... Um, it is fully immersive. It, that, that it's available to you. And I, and I used the word ethnic earlier, but I mean, I might as well be saying, like, it's the other. Like, mm-hmm. in a sense, you're going to... Other yourself to your friends and family, whether they're agnostic, Protestant, or whatever. Possibly even if they're Roman Catholic. Um, although I, I think like, and I went from being like a anti-Roman Catholic, you know, blue-blooded American, to what does that even mean? <laughs> I meant blue-blooded. I meant blue-blooded in a in a negative sense, but I think I just called myself a Democrat. I don't know what I just did. Um, <laughs> Red-blooded. But but what, but I'm, I, what I'm trying to say, orthodoxy is attainable, but it, it's gonna be it's gonna be jarring. It's gonna be jarring because it could look ethnic to people and and the whole Eastern. That's why going back to the whole Greek Orthodox thing, getting called Greek Orthodox because people don't know what else to call it, Eastern Orthodox. Eastern and mm-hmm. thought, Eastern and just cult- culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why there's a real problem right now with men. You know, shoot. Let let's let's derail this whole conversation. And talk about the man problem. You know, in the Western world. But then it's funny that Western men who kind of do get red pilled, but they're they're on this like trad kind of thing, and they all want like the submissive trad wife. But they're all children, <laughs> like that. Like that's this cool, like it's not cool. I mean, it's a cool observation because it's funny, uh, you know, of just this feedback loop of like fatherless men who who are hungry for the tradition, and I'm sure you've seen the memes that like millennials don't want guitars at liturgy or you know guitars at, not at liturgy because we don't do that shit <laughs> in orthodoxy there's nobody playing kumbaya right <laughs> like those are called heretics but um but in roman catholicism for example i know you know it's been i mean i've seen godfather 3 vatican 2 it's crazy man they killed a pope um <laughs> but um 
I don't know. I can't, I can't keep a train of thought for, for a minute, like this this whole interview. I feel like, I don't know. I keep seeing Elon Musk yeah. just sitting right there, <laughs> and he like keeps making weird faces at me, and I'm just totally distracted. I keep thinking Clementine's going to bite him, and I just can't concentrate on anything. You see, you talk about yeah. guitars and liturgy. I, I have about that bakery record. Have, that, have you heard that bakery record? Where it's the one that Terry Manning did? No. <laughs> No, that was a joke. That was like no, nobody I would, got. I would get into that. It's it's a liturgy, It's a full liturgy, with some preaching in there. Like they stop the music for some preaching, but it comes off. So it doesn't come off as cool as the electric prunes. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Like the stuff that's on the Easy Rider soundtrack. It's it just it sounds so forced, but it is. It's the acoustic rock guitar. Kind of. Well. I think the music in the Orthodox Church rocks. I think it's pretty cool. Oh, and, it's and again, if you're if you're in the Churches of Christ, you know, fa- famous for like not having musical instruments, um, you you might not be surprised that the Apostolic Church that's been around, you know, like I think I mentioned the last time we talked, Ethiopia, two thousand years, a cr- Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it again, but. Um, but it's it's obtainable. It's obtainable to people, and it's here. Um, it's, here. it's in Mississippi, and we have uh, what we have three different Orthodox churches here in the state. Three or four. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, the I mean, devil intentionally like that's keeps pretty it impressive. Hidden. Yeah, yeah. The, my, the first time I went to an Orthodox church, I'll go and say I was on LSD. I walked in. Uh, that that's what brought me there. I was uh, having this great How experience. Old were you? Do you remember? Seven? This was... This was... uh, (laughs) Seven? Maybe in 2014. Okay. And um, I was on LSD. I'd been walking around in the woods and having this great experience and just had this overwhelming drive to go to an Orthodox church. And I knew that there was one, St. Paul's in Tupelo. I had found out about. And uh, I'd been tripping all night. And the sun's coming up, and, and I'm out there in the woods. It's like 8 o'clock, and it says that their service starts at 10. Mm-hmm. So I just cleaned my face off and went down there. <coughs> and I remember walking in, and the, the incense hit me. The icons, which many of them have gold leaf on them. So from the candles flickering on that gold leaf, it mm-hmm. completely mesmerized looked like all, I was seeing a gold disco ball with faces on it all in the place that's not what was in there but that's what I saw right and the readers were reading but they chant they do it in, in a harmony a harmonious chant and I was absolutely overwhelmed I thought how can this be how can this be happening right here in Tupelo, Mississippi? How can this be happening here? Because my idea of worship had always been psychedelics. I didn't know what worship was until I took a psychedelic. And I'd always, as an artist, had always called psychedelics the artist's sanctuary. That's where I went to worship. This was the first time I entered a place, an actual physical space, where I felt like I was entering a worshipful space. I've never had a bad trip on LSD. Oh, me either. But I've had difficult trips. I, Never and, had I, a bad and, I one. and I believe it, it was because I had an understanding for who my God was, and that, like, I knew what I was gonna see. You know, eventually, as the trip progresses. I don't know about you, but the trip is always stepping its game up till it gets to the 
top of the mountain, so to speak, mm-hmm. and then it winds down. And at the top of that mountain, you're going to see something you really don't want to see, or you're going to be seeing something that you can worship. Mm-hmm. Now, and I don't, I don't even mean in a visual sense. No, you're absolutely it's a very, right. It's a spiritual. If sense. you take enough, and the set and setting is just right. And that's what ritual is. Ritual is about set and setting. So when we're talking about liturgy, even though liturgy is participating in something that transcends man's notion of set and setting, it still answers to it to some degree. And what we're talking about when we say set and setting is is mindset and then the environmental setting you're in. Mm-hmm. You change your setting when you're having a difficult trip. You can change the entire trip. Mm-hmm. But that's what ritual does. If you know ritual and understand the 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 spheres of consciousness into which you can propel yourself through ritual the different domain that's the problem most people don't have a map our america has no maps we, we don't really have any kind of domain for this stuff but it it exists in these Alexandrian worldviews, and I say that these are these are worldviews: Hermetic, Neoplatonic, Orthodox. These are ancient worldviews that we see ourselves now as divorced from. We no longer participate in. But the minute you take a psychedelic, you take enough, and it clicks. If you're familiar with those worldviews, you realize they're true. Mm. This is true. You've entered a space that, for the first time, you're participating in something that is effective and is no longer uh, questionable. Like in this in this domain, nothing adds up. It seems to make sense day to day, but the minute you get clued into the way things function on this plane, things don't add up. There's just, there's leftovers. Those leftovers are what you have to deal with in ritual territory and psychedelic territory, the stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense here. It's It transcends what we would call sensible it's not nonsensical but it's praetor sensical it's somehow uh, i don't know it transcends dialectical reason the minute the minute you try to discuss it there's the minute you, you don't have words for it yeah yeah but but it's a real a real domain that's experiential and uh, I I had no idea what worship was until I took psychedelics. And, it was a foreign notion to me. And just to kind of finish that thought is, whenever I'm come all the way down, and uh, you know, usually if it's a good trip, it, it usually takes about sixteen hours. <laughs> On acid, yeah. Yeah. If you take enough. Yeah. Twenty-two. Uh, the longest I think I ever trip was twenty-two yeah, hours on LSD. And uh, but I remember when I came out, I took a little nap. And when I got up, it was like the world, the weight of the world was off my shoulders. And, uh, man, I, I always give that uh, glory to Christ. Uh, it was like, I, and I believe that is a true response. Uh, it's, it's true freedom. It's coming uh, closer than anything else on this earth. And you happen to know a little something about DMT. And so people love talking about DMT. So It's a fascinating compound, for uh, sure. Our brains develop it? Our body produces it. We don't know where. Oh. It could be in our brain, but we haven't proven that. It's also been found in the lungs. It's in the eyeballs. They found it in the eyeballs. I think Rick Strassman, Dr. Rick Strassman, was the first one to propose that it was produced by the pineal gland. And his research company, Cottonwood Research uh, Institute, actually did discover DMT in the pineal glands of rats. 
but it's never been discovered in the pineal glands of humans. They don't know where it's produced. We, we also don't know under what circumstances it's produced, but it's in there. And the whole connection, like with the dream thing, seems like it's probably connected to... I know when the, I have a big dream, I taste DMT when I wake up in the morning. That's a strange oh, thing. I don't, I don't, because I've never done DMT, but like, it, when I have a good dream and I wake up, there is a taste. It's the strongest, um, strongest hallucinogen. Do we need to take a break? Known to man. It's powerful stuff. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.